If you follow legendary pedal company Electroharmonics on YouTube or are on their email list, you might have refreshed your feed or maybe even got a push notification to check out their new video. It's titled The Socialist Gangsters, so already a pretty weird start. But let me read the video description word for word. It reads, Listen to Mike Matthews' song on the historic battle between electroharmonics and thugs in New York City. In the summer of 1981, a local union threatened to shutter electroharmonics while picketing turned to violence. BHX founder Mike Matthews stood with his workers and would not back down in the face of adversity. Listen to Mike tell his tale in song and on NBC News. In subsequent years, Electroharmonics and its great workforce at its vacuum tube factory in Russia won two vicious battles with Russian gangsters who illegally tried to take over the tube factory. Both battles were won despite the fact that government supporters were killed by mobsters before we prevailed. Read more about the history of electroharmonics at www.ehx.com slash the EHX story. I believe I speak for a lot of people when I ask, what the f***? Welcome to Get Offset. My name is Emily and you are wonderful and people are lucky to know you. This is obviously a weird video that has uh, a lot of people talking on the internet as of, you know, a couple hours after it came out, maybe like later that night. <laughs> but uh, let's start with talking about Mike's story. Now, this very obvious like press release language and such is obviously Mike Matthews' version of events. And I'm not caught up enough on historical matters to say either way what's true and what isn't. And if you hear Mike's story, it, it doesn't seem like he's without reason to feel a certain way about unions. I've only heard one side of the story, Mike's, and the way he tells it makes it seem like EHX was really put through some shit in the name of a union known as Novelty in Plastics Union, which from my research, may refer to the International Leather Goods, Plastic, and Novelty Workers Union, which in 1980 had about 27,000 members nationwide, and it was based in New York City. The way Mike tells it, this union approached him for a sweetheart unionization deal, which he declined. Apparently, the union also failed in a vote with its employees, but it's not clear how badly it lost. Then, Again, according to Mike, people who didn't even work for EHX started picketing violently. NBC even filmed the picket line for three days and it looked intense. You can see people throwing eggs at presumably uh, EHX workers who were trying to go to work. Mike himself says he was jumped by between five and six men when arriving for work, uh, though that number has, has varied. <laughs> and uh, eventually the union gave up. However, an investor was scared off and EHX went bankrupt and Mike had to sell off the trademark. So what really happened? The weird thing about this story is that it doesn't seem to have a lot of sources outside of Mike Matthews. And to be clear, I'm not saying Mike is lying. 
Plenty of people are saying that on Reddit and in YouTube comments, etc., forums. But my thing is, I just don't love stories like this that only have a single source, especially when there should be dozens, if not hundreds of sources. In fact, even an article from Forbes relies pretty solely on Mike Matthews as the main source, which articles from good magazines and publications shouldn't do. I have to imagine Forbes did some fact-checking, but he's really the, the only only cited source. The same goes for NBC interviews from the days of the picketing, which you can see in, in that weird YouTube video. I have a few thoughts and questions, and the biggest ones include, what did this union deal really look like? Mike calls it a sweetheart deal, which implies that it wouldn't really have benefited workers. So that's, you know, interesting possible, but interesting uh, to note. I also want to know what the employee vote was like. Was it a resounding fuck off to the union or was it close? Mike says he offered his employees raises when the union tried to unionize EHX workers, but is that what the union was asking for or was it about working conditions? I also think it stands to point out that a single raise is a tactic long used to union bust. You give the people something small just once to prevent them from asking for more with more pool down the line. Also, did any EHX employees pick it, or was it actually, like Mike tells it, just outsiders from the union? As for people who didn't work at EHX picketing, I don't think that's uncommon with larger unions. Isn't that kind of the point of them? That people who have the similar or same job as you stand up to unfair or unsafe conditions with you? That's what collective bargaining is. That's what collectivism is. That being said, unions used to be very different than how they are today. People who were in unions stood up often violently for their interests. This is very dated research for us, but timely for the EHX conflict, all right? A 1969 study showed that there were between 80 to 100 instances of union violence a year, and that, quote, violence was greater in conflicts in which there was a question of whether union recognition would be extended. So this EHX event doesn't seem super out of the ordinary, it doesn't hurt, in my opinion, to note that e uh, New York City was uh, kind of a wild slash dangerous place in the 70s and 80s. I don't disagree that it's possible that this was violent. And from what we see in some footage, there were some obvious acts of violence. Getting hit with an egg does hurt. I agree with Mike Matthews on that one. They don't just smash. They will leave welts. Um, but I digress. There was one thing that really stuck out to me from that YouTube video. It was something he said in an NBC interview, and I'm going to paraphrase, but the gist was he said that he believes unions used to be good, but now they don't have workers' best interests in mind. And that's just such a common take even today. Basically, the energy is that Unions are great when I benefited from them, but now that I'm the boss, they're bad. 
Obviously, Mike blames this union for going bankrupt and having to sell his trademark. He claims that an investor was scared off by the coverage of the picketing, but is that the whole story? Ultimately, I've seen Mike Matthews admit that he was drinking too much alcohol and smoking too much weed back then. And personally, I've seen firsthand businesses fail because the CEO was way too high or drunk the entire time. I'm not saying that's the actual reason EHX failed in the early to mid-80s because I don't think EHX shut down shop for any one reason. But I definitely don't think it was just the union. I think the union episode probably just didn't help a situation that was already likely getting pretty rough. For this episode, I'm going to focus on the 1981 union claims and not what happened decades later in Russia. Um, because again, the main source of that is Mike himself. And honestly, it's just too much to get into. Um, but it's my understanding that operations were moved to Russia to save costs. And that also after EHX, the trademark got sold, uh, Mike started be basically becoming a reseller of tube amps and other things from Russia to companies like Fender, PV, and Saldano, and that he made quite a bit of money on that. But I read an article on LinkedIn by someone named Matt Palumbo, who wrote about Mike Matthews speaking at the Cornell Club in, in New York City. One phrase that got thrown around a few times, both in regards to the Union episode and the Russian one, was that Mike declined politely or politely declined so that Mike politely declined the union offer and something in regards to the Russian thugs. That kind of language is a huge red flag for me in storytelling. It really says this story is being told by one singular perspective and that perspective thinks that they are correct, that there can't be another side to the story it's, it's, it's just a huge, huge reason to take a story with a grain of salt. I don't particularly believe that someone who fights tooth and nail and often wins is the kind of guy who just, quote, politely declines things and stories. I'm not saying I suspect he'd be an asshole about it, but again, that kind of language is, is, is very telling and it, it makes me want to hear more sides of the story, more than a lot of other things in this story that makes me want to know more from other people. But I can't find anything from them. And that's how a lot of people apparently feel. There are years worth of Reddit threads where people debate whether or not Mike should be taken for his word or even supported financially with, with your sales, with your purchases. He published a magazine ad in 1982 about winning a battle against a union. It's an ad that fully blames the union for their troubles and not the other elements Matthews later says, quote, didn't help anything. Uh, the substance abuse is what I'm saying. So let me read that ad. E.H. is back. Dear musicians and friends, you will be happy to know that your old friends at Electroharmonics are back in business. As you may know, Electroharmonics was liquidated this year after going through a siege by persons representing themselves as members of a labor union. 
when these union organizers were absolutely rejected by the overwhelming majority of the EH team, they resorted to a campaign of violence to try to force members of Electroharmonics to join them. A professional gang of outside agitators assaulted Electroharmonics members on the streets and in the subways just because they wanted to continue coming to work. EH members were pelted with eggs, had bottles broken over their heads, were beaten with clubs, and threatened with guns. One member had his eye cut, another lost his front teeth, another ended up with neurosurgery after receiving serious hand wounds. I personally was jumped by five of these thugs. The Electroharmonics team decided to stick it out as long as possible. After eight straight days of violence, the events were reported on primetime evening news for three days here in New York on NBC TV. Only after these so-called union representatives were exposed by NBC's hidden cameras did they finally leave the streets. We all fought hard for our rights, but could not overcome the financial setbacks and soon afterwards were forced to liquidate. Fortunately, the Electroharmonics trademark and product line were recently acquired by Matthews Research and Development Cooperation at public auction. Now the EH team has reunited with fresh resources. I think in, this is an aside for me. I think in Russia, but I'm not sure to build the same electroharmonics products we've made in the past. And I'm happy to say they are now on sale again ex exclusively at leading music dealers throughout the world. Mike Matthews, president. P.S. Freedom is precious and sometimes must be defended if it is to be preserved. Oh my God. This is so, so weird. It's just such a weird ad. Why say any of that? This doesn't sell the products, it sells anti-union sentiment. What a weird thing to center when you should ostensibly be happy to be selling fuzz puddles and shit again. What? The Reddit thread dedicated to this particular ad is split as most of those threads are. Some people say fuck that union and others say that Mike is full of tall tales and this is one of them. It's weird and I'm inclined to agree that it's not totally believable. One thing is clear, though. Mike Matthews busted a union and is extremely proud of it. Mike Matthews seems to love fighting things and coming out victorious. I mean, who doesn't love coming out victorious? But the things that this man has gone through, including the thing in Russia, including the thing in China, it's, it's, always, it's always something with him. And it's not to say that he just hasn't had a lot of bad luck. He's also had a lot of great luck. It's just interesting to think about. And I, I'm a very skeptical person by my nature in terms of these kinds of things. And I, I'm skeptical of this. Uh, I, I have to say, it's wild to me that EHX decided a good time to release this song slash video was right after the conclusion of two extremely long, high profile strikes, where I think public sentiment was largely on on the side of the union. Uh, unions are hot right now and they have some serious support. I get that EHX probably wants to tell their story and share their history, but this timing is hilariously bad. I'd think whoever suggested this timing just hates EHX secretly or is just extremely tone deaf. I'm, I'm assuming the latter. 
and in the comments on this YouTube video have not been kind. Here are a few of the top ones. Patricio Arnold 4647 says, God bless America and our right to exploit underpaid workers and avoid taxes. Um, I'm assuming a few of these are referencing, making references to things that I'm not super familiar with, but here's another one. Crate 70 pulls no punches when he says, pretty fucking funny considering Mike would be working at a bowling alley without Soviet labor. Labor. I'm assuming that's in reference to him moving production to Russia to save money and how he made a career basically reselling those tubes from Russia to Fender and uh, PV, uh, among others. Average net fool. Uh, I'm probably reading that wrong. Sounds bored with a comment reading, a corporation being opposed to organized labor. How original. Though I'm not sure you can call EHX a corporation. Let me know if you think they are. Dirk77429 has a thoughtful comment. Workers have a right to form and vote in the union. Owners and management that exploit workers and unlawfully restrict their activities are the gangsters. It's true that some unions operate unjustly, but far less than owners because unions are more ideally democratic organizations. This cannot be said of corporate structure. Well put in my obviously biased opinion. Antique Death Cult, great name, uh, is in disbelief. I can't believe EHX actually emailed me just to out themselves as anti-union. Good thing, too, because I was about to purchase some pedals. Thanks for giving me the heads up to dodge this bullet. <laughs> uh, Jesse Marsh, 9386, uh, was hoping for a sale, they said. It is wild to get a promo email from a pedal manufacturer. Think, oh, cool, this is probably a new pedal or Black Friday sale announcement or something, and then get this. <laughs> I'm sure they don't care because the video is still up, but this is a PR nightmare. Unions have gone through a lot of iterations over the past 150 years. You have the late 1800s and early 1900s when it was almost class warfare, uh, which blessed us with a 40-hour work week, uh, paid holidays, and more. Not all unions are on the up and up and never have been. I'm not one to speak on 70s and 80s unions, but modern unions are nothing like they once were. They hold very little power compared to heyday, the heyday of unions, thanks in no small part to anti-union campaigns that sought to shift the public opinion on unions. Unfortunately, this has largely worked. And now there's, once again, pushback from workers. We are tired. We are underpaid and overworked and we're watching our bosses get richer while we struggle to afford fresh fruit. Again, it is shocking to me that anyone from EHX thought that now would be a good time to release this. Younger generations especially aren't putting up with shit from employers and are not going to abide with supporting companies that center a huge part of their history on winning a battle but losing a war and then I guess being reborn like a phoenix from the flames all centered on busting a union. Listen, people literally died for our right to have a 40-hour work week, a five-day work week. Like there were riots, there were bombings, 
it was nasty. I'm really sorry that there was this negative experience, but I I really struggle uh, to believe the boss in, in this situation. It's no, I'm not, again, I'm not calling Mike Matthews a liar, but I am saying this story would be better if there were also other people telling it the same way instead of essentially nobody else telling it. To change the subject just a little bit, back to capitalism, uh, <laughs> what I originally wanted to talk about this week and which I didn't get a ton of time to put together thoughts on was the Reverb.com Blacked out series. This is a tradition for reverb and the idea has always been in my memory that pedal companies release special blacked out versions of some popular pedals or something they want to promote. They make 500 of them. They give them to reverb. Reverb sells them all and then pays the company. That's been my, um, that's been how I remember it. I was really surprised this year that it wasn't just existing pedals. There are some simply existing pedals that were released, um, namely the Line 6 DL4 Mark II. That's normally that green. Personally, I would want it in green. I just think it's so iconic, but a lot of people really like that black on black look, which I think can really work. The other one that had already come out was the Earthquaker Devices Zor. And that had just come out. So that's still a very new pedal suddenly available in black on black. Very cool. But then the other four were new. JHS released an oil can delay from their three series. I haven't heard it, but I've heard great things about the delays and time-based effects from that series. So I'm sure it's really, really good. Um, I actually had a Fender oil can delay unit that I bought broken, largely got fixed. As it turns out, uh, there was just too much oil in it. So I didn't know that could, that could be a thing. But one funny thing about oil can delays is um, it, it's kind of like a bicycle in that for a long time people knew it worked but didn't really know how. <laughs> but it's just, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing to have. I think it's a great, I think oil can delays sound great. I would rather have it in a pedal, but they're really, really cool. Um, also, mine was not grounded, so I was very afraid of it. I think rightfully, it kept like shocking me, and I didn't even when it wasn't on, and I, that that frightened me. So I, I I ended up selling it back to the guy I bought it from for basically a fixing fee, which I thought was pretty fun. And then he sold me my Elvis Costello signature Jazzmaster. Hey, Lino. Um, the other, another new one is the old bud old blood noise endeavors bl52 phase repeater um that's from their bl series i've demoed every single pedal in that lineup and was am really sad that i i didn't get to demo that but none of these companies really released like proper demos except for this one they did put emily hopkins on it which if you're going to get one one demo that's a that's 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 the one i i, I personally think also i think andy demoed all of them which you know, yeah, if you're gonna get two people, <laughs> those are the two, right? Um, I really like that series. I'm sure this pedal just rules. Um, I don't think there's a stinker in it. 
So check that one out. But I do know that the actual BL-52 is like this green color. And I think that all of those BL petals look really cool. I would want it in the original color, personally. Um, <laughs> there was also the Death by Audio Space Ensemble SE1. That's uh, not a foot pedal, but it's something that connects to the mic stand. So it can um, give your, your vocals effects. I think that's a really cool idea. I love that. Um, so that's something really cool to check out. They have another similar pedal that I'm blanking on the name of, but uh, I Death by Audio, just mad scientists, geniuses, love them to death. Last but not least is the Walrus Audio Marikai. With a total of eight long-delayed BBD chips, a true stereo, true stereo channels and MIDI control, this stereo analog delay is unlike any other. It's also like... How expensive? Like $600? Yeah, it's it's $600. And I get it. I don't think there's anything super duper like this for them. There might be one other company. Maybe Is it Flower Petals that put out something similar? But stereo analog delay with a completely unique or syncable channels. It's really, really interesting. It's not for me. Not just because it's $600, not because I reject stereo and MIDI, which this also has, but I just see, I personally see no no need for this. Analog delay is super cool, great sounds, um, hard to completely duplicate, but I just think there are so many other anal stereo analog delays out there that I really struggle with imagining justification for a $600 delay. Sorry, guys. I'm sure I'm going to play it uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving and think and get just fucking obsessed with it. But it's I've listened to demos. I think it's fine. But again, it's, it's, it's $600 for for a stereo analog delay. I, I don't know who it's for. Um, I don't know how many they've sold. I'm pretty sure that all of these were like supposed to be like 500 were supposed to be available. Um, so the Marikai is being watched by 412 people right now, and it's been viewed over 13,000 times. Wow. I'm going to compare that to the oil candle from JHS, just because it's the other delay. It has 368 watchers, 13,000 views. So pretty similar numbers on those two. The JHS pedal has... 173 still available. So my my guess is that it was 500. There's no... I can't see how many of the Marikai are available. I think you only see that message when there are fewer available than are in carts. Um, same with the Death by Audio pedal. About half the viewers. Um, about uh, 272 watchers. I'm trying to see if any of the other ones have that almost gone warning. Wow, that's upsetting. The Old Blood BL52 phase repeater has only had 3,714 views and 153 watchers. That's upset. Like, that's a great pedal, but maybe people just want the normal color. See the DL4, 6,000, let's say 6,500 views, 270 watchers. So the the... The old, 
sorry, the JHS oil can delay and the Marikai seem to have been the most looked at ones by a lot and the most watched. And uh, the Zor says it's a pre-order. Are they all pre-orders? I don't know why I'm asking you. Are you talking back? Have you answered me? The Old Blood one is buy it now. Interesting. The deal for Mark II is buy now. And the Walrus Audio Marikai is also by now. When I saw the I'm not I'm I'm not lying when I say when I saw the price of the Marikai, I immediately said, Jesus Christ! And I clipped again because of my energy. <laughs> That's all I've got. Uh, I just wanted to talk about those. I think that the blacked out pedal is an interesting idea. It's not for me. Uh, so I guess in, in a very rude way, it's a Midwest interesting idea. Um, I have beef with all black pedals because I like the contrast. I feel like the contrast really helps you see things on a stage. I find these to be very much um, not functional in terms of being able to see your settings on a stage um, or even what pedal you have. I change my pedals nearly every gig as a nature of the demos, but uh, <laughs> I just, I don't think I would enjoy a blacked out pedal board. Oh, the other fun thing was um, I released a video version of the podcast episode from two weeks ago about the mean comments I got. I am so blown away by the support I've gotten from that message. Uh, so I just want to thank everybody who listened here first, especially and uh, everyone who watched on YouTube and left a positive comment, I really thought I was going to be spending the day fielding, fielding negative comments. Like, I was like, should I even release this video? Because it's, again, you know, a much larger audience. And it was just me talking about sexism and misogyny. And what, what can go wrong, you know? <laughs> uh, fucking everything can go wrong. But nothing went wrong. I only had a few, I think I only had one person that was outright hateful and I had another conversation with somebody else about something that I said. Um, I, I knew someone would take umbrage with my comment that men, you should talk to your shitty friends about their shitty behavior because they're not listening to women. And this person said that was saying that was the definition of sexism, which I disagree completely, but he didn't, he said, imagine if a man told you to go talk to your woman friends about their shitty behavior. And I have to say, it just, it depends on the behavior because I think that women are guilty of plenty of, of shitty, shitty behavior. Like I don't like it when men make jokes about hiding finances, financial purchases from their wives. I don't think women should hide financial purchases from their partners either. I don't, I don't think it's a double standard. I think it's a normal standard. Don't lie to your partner about how much money you're spending, especially if it makes a difference in your quality of life. Just don't do it. Like, either way. And I, and I said, you know, there have been times where I've talked to my own female friends or I've had my own female friends talk to me about, you know, shitty behaviors concerning men. Um, I know that... There are women who act like the men in their lives don't have feelings. And I really hate that. And I've talked to plenty of women about like, hey, you know, I know we like to 
rag on the men in our lives and stuff, but like they have feeling like men have feelings. They're people. Like I know they act all stoic, but they have feelings. And if they're not expressing it, then I'm getting into something else. But that is to say, I don't think it's a double standard. I think that we just need to hold each other accountable. And there are double standards in the world. And men do sometimes get the short end of that double standard. And I think it's fine to point it out when it's real. But I think that for things like sexism and racism, we have to understand that the ism there comes from a differential in power and social power. And that's that's just something that you have to consider when is this just somebody being mean to me or is this actually sexism? And I just think we should make sure we hold up standards equally. I know there are some women who listen to this podcast. Remember that. For the men, remember, I am not on a side in a lot of ways. It's not men versus women. It's people who want this world to be better because they know that things aren't equal and people who don't want that. And I just want to thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this kind of thing, there's a Patreon at patreon.com slash get offset for as little as $5 a month. You get access to our exclusive Discord server and you get access to a lot of things early. Um, I shouldn't say a lot, but we also have our Secret Santa coming up and that's going to be really fun. It's a $25 Secret Santa. It's not just about gear, but it's fun. <laughs> um, what else? I have merch at getoffsetpodcast.com slash shop. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for understanding. I want you to know that you're loved and appreciated. I'm lucky to know you. Until next time, my name is Emily. Goodbye.